0: Welcome to the Jesus Collective podcast. This is where we explore third-way leadership in a polarized world, and we ask what it means to keep Jesus at the center through it all. We hope you'll find the conversation meaningful and that it equips you in your context with fresh approaches to facing some of the most challenging leadership and ministry questions of our day. And hey, if you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! We are a relational network of churches and ministry leaders with a vision to unite equip and amplify a movement that is all about Jesus. You can look us up on social media or head to our website at jesuscollective.com to learn more, find out what it means to get involved, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast.
1: So my name is Betty. Uh, I work with congregations and workplaces and do all manner of work around helping organizations and congregations to be healthy. I also spend a lot of time thinking about what it means to do this from the perspective of faith. So to start us off, what I'd like to do is invite you to, well, here's the question that I was asked to think about. How is peacemaking and polarizing conflict central to and informed by the Jesus-centered gospel in our current moment? And what that means is, if we could go one more slide, there you go. Peacemaking, navigating, polarizing conflict, that's one theme. Jesus centered gospel is another theme. Our cultural moment is the next. I want to touch on all three of these just a little bit in our time together. Our cultural moment. There is so much that is good, and something is amiss. There is so much that is good. In fact, if you go to the next slide, right now, for example, we've had the pandemic, and many of us have been able to stay connected. In fact, there's people coming in over the live stream because we have the possibility of being connected over the internet. That's good. We see in our work congregations and workplaces in particular focusing on equity, diversity, and inclusion in a way they haven't before. George Floyd's murder in 2020 inspired a conversation across this country and other parts of this world as well around what does it mean to be living in an equitable way. That is good news. We are talking about equity in ways that we haven't before. There's also, of course, technology that makes life easier. I spent the last week uh, in Winnipeg where I grew up and my mother who uh, my parents both knew poverty and war as children, my mother came from the laundry room in her apartment and came back to her, her apartment and said to me, isn't it amazing that you can do laundry without getting dirty and wet? Because she spent a lot of life doing laundry by hand. Technology has made life easier in ways that we often forget. And of course, there is a relearning of the language of faith. There's a reclaiming of spirituality and contemplation of really coming to allowing Jesus to inform our lives and our world. That's all good news. And the current moment has struggle and challenges. The pandemic, uh, the environmental crisis, war. Social media, post-modernity, we can go on. Post-modernity has some good things about it, but there's also significant challenges in terms of the way it's influencing our changing social norms and the way in which we think about life and faith. This, these challenges are having a significant impact. Loneliness, mental health crisis, exhaustion, polarization, declining faith. When congregations call our organization today, the question they're asking most often is, how do we deal with the polarization in our pews? We don't know how to talk to each other anymore. It's not even how do we worship. It's not about who do we preach or how do we preach. It's how do we talk to each other in the middle of polarization? And if I talk to my daughter, who's a young adult at university, she would say she doesn't know anybody who's not having a mental health crisis. They're all in a mental health crisis. And if you look at the statistics behind that, we know that the rate of empathy in our universities, and I think the universities are just somebody that we can, the students are a captive audience that we can study. The rate of empathy in the early 2000s plummeted, and the rate of mental health distress skyrocketed. We love the internet and all the social media things it gives us, and it's had a huge, huge impact. In fact, if you look at social media, it began with such promise. It began with such promise. If you look at the the media that was written, like the articles that were written about the social media way back in the early 2000s, it was so exciting. We could be connected with one another and... It meant that we had the illusion that we would now understand each other. If you think about the um, translation apps, in fact, somebody just this week was telling me about how he had been trying to have a conversation with uh, somebody from another part of the world, and they just used uh, Google Translate, and they just translated back and forth, and it worked. And so we had this image and this illusion that we would be able to understand each other, and that concerns began to emerge. In fact, I read an article just this last week in The Atlantic how what we saw with social media is akin to the analogy of the Tower of Babel. We thought we would all be able to speak the same language, and instead we've all been scattered into our corners. We know, for example, that the first concern that emerged was the trauma of having your life on display. Mental health distress began almost simultaneously. I mean, mental health distress existed before social media, but it skyrocketed simultaneously with the dawn of Facebook. So there is a trauma associated with having your life on display, uh, and there is a trauma associated, there's trouble, we know, because the way in which those devices are wired, they change the brain wiring. And they are the pings, you know, the pings you get with your devices. It causes addiction, a social media addiction. But there is more. And we know that this device that so many of us have, we all have, really, is also associated with the words senator subterfuge. Or what I mean by that is we know that there's a lot of false news out there, a lot of false narratives that are being, well, we know just now, even with the war in Ukraine, how is the How is this, How is um, the news that's being sent around the world from different parts of that conflict influencing how we see what's happening there, including some of the false narratives that are emerging from Russia? We know that, and I'm just picking on social media as one example, there is this sense of the Tower of Babel that we had this optimism, we were going to get there, we were all going to understand each other, and now we're in our corners, and we are more polarized than ever before. We are polarized over masks, over vaccine mandates, over how to whether we're going to be affirming or not in our congregations. That's a huge one for churches at this time. We're polarized over whether we should invest in equity or not. We're polarized, and we're exhausted. We are profoundly exhausted. And so the question, though, for us is: What is the word of good news? What is the gospel in this time? What is the gospel of this time? What do we do? What do we do? I wonder if you're exhausted. You know, when I think about the clergy that I speak with, the pastors, the ministers, the ministry leaders, and the ways in which you have had to do ministry through the pandemic and minister to people who are exhausted minister to people who are polarized and then you feel polarized yourselves you or maybe not but you might just feel exhausted yourselves what do we do and i want to think about the gospel in of the jesus gospel in three parts now there's lots more to the jesus gospel than just these three parts but these are the three parts that i want to lift up for us today jesus wept do you want to be well and love god and your neighbor these three verses Jesus wept. Jesus wept is a word of lament. And I wonder if what we need to do is come first to the time that we're living in, and come first to this time with grief and lament. You know, in our North American context, we have a real impulse to think about, we're getting better. We're getting better. We're getting there. There's wisdom in starting with lament. The Psalms have lament. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He comes in riding that donkey, and he comes down the Mount of Olives, and he looks at the city, and he weeps, and he says, if only you knew the things that made for peace. I wonder if Jesus was among us or in any one of our congregations today, what would Jesus do? or if he was sitting with some of your people who are suffering, some of your young adults who are suffering with mental health, some of the people who are coming out of Ukraine in war, my hunch is he would begin by saying, this is not good. And he would weep with us in our suffering. And then with a heart of, full of compassion, he might say to us, if only you knew the things that made for peace. Or if your congregation is one of those that has been struggling with polarization and masks and all of that stuff. I wonder if you'd walk in and among us and say, weep and say, if only you knew the things that made for peace. But it doesn't stop with lament. Jesus does more than weep. He asks the man at the pool, right? The man who's been waiting for 38 years. He asks, do you want to be well? I love this question. I love this question. It's a question that I ask congregations. Congregations come to us, come sometimes come to us and say, "Can you help us to renew?" And the question that I ask is, "Do you want to be well?" Do you want to be well? I also have people who come to us. We also do mediation and conflict resolution work and say people say they want to have a resolution with the person they're in conflict with. My question is, "Do you want to be well?" Do we want to be well? Because as much as we like to say we want to be well, we are often addicted to our unwellness. To be well, there is so much that we have to give up. I often, I I think that one of the most difficult things around the Jesus gospel is the invitation to be honest with ourselves. Do we want to be well? Because if we're honest with ourselves, there's quite a bit that we will be asked to give up. Self-indulgence. If you think about the climate crisis, I know lots of young adults university age right now who don't, aren't sure if they should have children. And the rest of us are flying around the world. When will we give up our self-indulgence? Or, you know, I'm thinking back to uh, the, um, during the early 2000s when George Bush was looking for mesh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And I listened to a sermon at the time, and the, ma- the pastor said, our real problem is weapons of mass distraction. Because we're so busy being distracted by all of our entertainment of various types that we don't have time to be honest with ourselves Do we want to be well? Or our self-righteousness or our inclination to shut out the news and I can't do it. And I can't always do it either, to be fair. But we want to shut out the news. We want to shut out the pain in the world and just be well in our own terms. But the question, do you want to be well, is a question not only whether we want to be well individually, The gospel, as much as in in our context here in North America, it's very personal, and it's good good that it's personal. There's a personal piece to the gospel. But the gospel in, in the Old and New Testament, the good news in both of those testaments, is always collective before it's individual. Do we want to be well is for the collective and not just for us alone. So if I want, if I, if my answer to wanting to be well is yes, how am I being transformed, not just for myself, but how am I being invited to be transformed for the community as a whole? But then there's one more, that third piece of the Jesus gospel, which is love your love, the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we say yes to wanting to do well, be well, We are invited into action. There is a task. And this task, I would say to you, is more complex than we often realize. If you look at the grammatical construction of loving God and neighbor, that passage in Luke, now in Matthew and Mark, it's a little bit different. But in Matthew and Luke, when you look, sorry, in Luke, when you look at that passage, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, if you look at the Greek, To love God is to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor is to love God, period. You cannot love God and not love neighbor. You cannot love neighbor and not love God. That is one construction. It is one breath. It's one action. If we want to be well, we have to love both God and neighbor. And that's hard. Here in Canada, we've had lots of polarization. If you think about the uh, trucker convoy in Ottawa, you think about some of the polarization in our congregations. I know our American brothers and sisters who are here. You've had that same dynamic in different ways in the U.S. And our temptation is to go to judgment, hatred, all of that stuff. Loving God is loving neighbor. Loving neighbor is loving God. And it gets more complicated than that. And the way it gets more complicated than that is if you look at the grammatical construction, it says, and love love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. It's not loving your neighbor as though the neighbor is yourself. It's loving the neighbor as yourself. The neighbor is you. You are your neighbor. You are your neighbor. The neighbor is you. You see, if I love my neighbor, I love myself. If I love myself, I must love my neighbor because, and this is complicated. If you look at the history of Christian, the Christian contemplation, the Christian spirituality, the wisdom that we see there is that the difference between me and you is a little bit of an illusion. I mean, clearly we, we you just look around the room. We don't look alike. We are definitely not the same. We can see that we're definitely not the same as each other. And... And it was in the talk that was given just before mine. When we breathe God into ourselves, when we breathe the spirit of God into us, the spirit of God that lives in me is the same spirit of God that lives in you. You and I are more one than we realize. To love my neighbor as myself is to love my neighbor because on some level, my neighbor is myself. And why is that difficult? That difficulty in that is, I need to love not, my, not just the good parts of my neighbor, not just God being alive in my neighbor the way God is alive in me. The brokenness of my neighbor is also my brokenness. Have you ever noticed that the people that annoy you are the people that kind of are a little bit like you? Right? Right. It's not fun. Right. <laughs> The people that are most like us, the people that we most are annoyed with are typically the people who reflect us in some way. We would like to love the good parts of the other and pretend that the bad parts of the well, not love the, other, the bad parts of the other and pretend that they're not part of us. Some of you might remember the movie Nell from 1994. Do you remember that movie? I, I saw it then. I've never seen it since. From that movie, there's one thing that stands out for me. And so I'm going back a lot of years. I saw that movie back in the day. But in that in this movie there's a woman named Nell who is found. She was living in the bush. She was raised by wolves after her mother died. And so people in a village they find her and they want to put her into an institution. And she says to the sheriff's wife, "You need me to be mentally ill so that you or you need me to be ill and broken so that you do not need to see the illness and the broken in yourself." the illness and the brokenness in yourself. And what we do when we say, well, I'm going to just that neighbor, that's the other. I will love you as a charity. But if I don't love you as though you're myself, if I don't love you, the, the brokenness in you, because it's the brokenness in me, then I haven't really loved you. So we have Jesus weeps. There is lament. Do you want to be well? And then there's this invitation to commitment. Love God and love neighbor. The problem, or if I can take that one more step there, oops. Well, Wi Fi's real perfect. Is there more? Are there more slides? They were meant to be, but maybe not. Um, there's no more slides? I'm looking for a. There we go. There's this thing about Jesus, and the thing about Jesus is that he won't be pinned down. I think it's kind of complicated. Every time, you know, it comes back, I think, to the Old Testament. You know when when, um, Moses looks for God's name and God says, no, I'm not going to give you my name. Because if I give you my name, you're going to put me in a box, you're going to package me up, and you're going to try and sell me. The same kind of holds true with Jesus. Every time you put Jesus, try to pin down exactly what Jesus um, wants to say, boom. He says the exact opposite. Jesus says, uh, give everything to the poor a couple of verses later, he says, oh, you'll always have the poor among you. Let the, woman, let the woman pour the alabaster oil over me. Or if you look at Matthew 18, it goes from, it goes from hold the person accountable to forgive 70 times seven. He won't be pinned down, and he won't be pinned down in part because what Jesus is asking us to do is shift out of either or thinking into both and thinking. Either or thinking is... Uh, well, why both-and thinking? Let's go here. Both-and thinking is associated with mature spirituality. It's Jesus spirituality. When we are involved in either-or thinking, I'm dividing the world into who's better and who's worse. We size people up. Now, there's a time and a place for either-or thinking. If I'm doing, if if there's a place for either-or thinking, I have to figure out, do I cook this or do I cook that? You and I are trying to puzzle something through together. We have to make decisions. There's a place for either or thinking, but not in our human community. <clears throat> in our human community, when we fall into either or thinking, uh, let me just go here a couple more slides further. One more, maybe? There. One more. What does both and thinking not mean? So both and thinking is either-or thinking. It's dividing in the world into good, bad, better, worse. It's saying there's a spirit of judgment. I, you know this. You walk into a room, you size people up, you size them down, and you start to layer them up in, in like, like a layer cake. Who's got more power? Who's got less power? Who should I talk to? Who has influence? We live by comparisons, exclusion, and a spirit of judgment. Either or thinking is a refusal to see the coherence between opposites. It's a refusal to see self and other and other and self. It's a binary thinking that I'm all good and they're all bad. Now we know that's not true, but we fall into this trap of trying to otherize the other and put truth and goodness and all of that in self. Mature spirituality invites us into humility. It invites us into what Brene Brown—not Brene Brown, uh, Beatrice Bruteau—calls the Holy Thursday Revolution. She says in her in, in several of her books, but one of her books is entitled the, Thir- the Holy Thursday Revolution. She says we are so tempted to divide the world into these the la- in layer cake of judging and and excluding and all of those good things, and forgetting that self and other are one. The Holy Thursday revolution isn't just Jesus serving the people and washing Peter's feet and everybody else's. It's also Jesus putting the food in the mouth of Judas. It's Jesus saying you and I are one. It's refusing to divide the world into these categories of better and worse and it's it's also committing to seeing the unity and the oneness between us and the people who are polarized. In Christian history, the language for this is unitive consciousness. We don't use that word so much here in North America or in the 21st century, but this is the way it was described in history. Unitive consciousness is the ability to see you, me, and you, and you, and me, and to recognize that loving God and loving neighbor is the same thing. In conflict theory, so both and thinking, we won't have time to get into conflict theory today, but it's one of the things I do. So I just want to alert you to this. Both end thinking and Christian spirituality can feel hard to grasp. What do we mean by that? In conflict theory, one of the things that we say is, if I have my truth over here and you have your truth over there, then as long as I, what I, one of the things I like to do is talk about all the strengths of my perspective and all the weaknesses of your perspective. And then you argue back from the strengths of your perspective and the downsides of my perspective. That's called diagonal conversations. Diagonal, diagonal conversations. And when we're stuck in a diagonal conversation, you don't feel so good about me because the way I represent you is all the badness about you and all the goodness about me and vice versa. Both and thinking is seeing the goodness in you and the weakness in myself. In any one of our perspectives... There are truths out there. We know that racism is wrong. And underneath some of those big truths, there are these underlying principles that get us caught and stuck. Let me give, us, let me give you one example. So a church has called me about help us to talk to each other about vaccinations, polari- um, ma- uh, vaccine, vaccine, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and whether or not to be inclusive around LGBTQ+. And one of the ways in which we know this conversation shows up, and it's a, it's a common conflict in congregations. How much do we focus on self, and how much do we focus on other? It's a common conflict. In fact, I know at my own congregation, when it comes to budget time and the AGM, I know who's going to stand up and say, our budget is too much focused on self, we need to focus more on other. It's a common dispute that we have in our congregations. If we only focus on the other, we have no self. If we only focus on self, we have no other. But when we have polarized fights with one another, I tell you all about the strengths, of my, the reasons why we should focus on self, and all the downsides of focusing on other, and you do the opposite. And we have what I call a diagonal conversation. And in the process, we dehumanize one another. In the both and gospel, What Jesus does is he never lets us get stuck on one side. He always invites us to see the whole picture. He always invites us into humility, into wisdom, into the wonderful gift of seeing goodness in you and goodness in me and brokenness in me and brokenness in you. And so when we think about both and thinking, we are invited into this gospel message, love God and neighbor, love neighbor and self. It is all one love. It is all one love. And so we want to think about now as coming to closure, this Holy Thursday revolution. What would it be like for the Jesus collective to lean into a Holy Thursday revolution, not just here, but in our congregations where we move past our polarization and we wash the feet of the people with whom we disagree. And we see that part of what makes, us, makes them untasteful to us is what makes us untasteful to ourselves. And by definition, see, learn to see the goodness in them and learn to see the goodness in ourselves. We are both one and we are both not one you and my your salvation and my salvation they are inextricably bound together. We can't do this task of being Jesus people alone or just for ourselves. It has to be the community together. It has to be the community together. Our invitation friends is to love God because loving God is loving neighbor, loving neighbor is loving God and loving your neighbor because your neighbor is yourself. Thank you. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media, or you can email us at connect at JesusCollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.